If you would, turn with me this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 34. Paul has been writing this letter to the Corinthian church, one in which uh, there are doubts, there are uh, unhealthy practices, there are divisions. It is a church that is very difficult. And I was reminded in our new members Sunday school class this morning that we went over the fact that Christianity is basically Christ or nothing. Without Christ, we have nothing. Without Christ, we hope for nothing. With, without Christ, there's no reason to have a church and no reason to come to worship. But here, Paul has just said in the first part of chapter 15, it's not just Christ that we must have. We must also have the historical fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, without the resurrection, we have no hope. And it's in that context that he writes these next words about our walk with him. Follow along as I read verses 20 through 34 of 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. As we consider these words, let us bow briefly in prayer. Lord, guide our thoughts and our hearts that they might be pleasing in your sight. For, Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord, may the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, and may the words of my mouth be acceptable to you. And, Lord, if there is anything that is spoken, thought, or anything in this room that is not consistent with your word, let it be never heard from again. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we were pleased this weekend to have my daughter come home from college, and I got to thinking about college students going off 
to college. College students will often know or find out which colleges are serious. In other words, those colleges that are about learning and obtaining helpful degrees and learning uh, job uh, information in order to go out into the workforce and be productive citizens. But unfortunately, there are also schools which become known as, or practically become known as, party schools. Unfortunately, thousands of young men and women go off to college not to study or to attain the noble pursuit of learning, particularly understanding that colleges were first formed in order for people to see the apex of learning, which was theology, the study of God. That's how universities started first in Europe and then in the United States. But instead, many go to party. Shockingly, Paul seems to indicate that the church in Corinth was in danger of becoming a party church. After all, it had in this letter, in 1 Corinthians, it describes a complete lack of morals, particularly in immorality. It describes drunkenness, even as they gathered to observe the Lord's Supper. And it observed a complete disregard among some for learning the truth about Jesus. In fact, this particular chapter, concluding the the base part of the letter of Corinthians, after all the addresses of divisions and strife and lack of decorum in the worship service and marriage and all those different things, he focuses on the fact that there are some in their church, these aren't people outside the church, they're people inside the church, who are denying that there is a resurrection. And so here he is in this disregard of the truth about Jesus. He once again lays out the facts and the theology that comes with it. He provides a timeline for the eschaton, that is the last times. He gives us the dangers of denying the resurrection and then closes with some basic advice and reproof. First of all, he reminds us of the fact that he has just gone through in the first part of this chapter with over 500 witnesses who, many of them alive when this letter was written, could attest to the fact that Christ had been raised from the dead. This is, as Paul writes, a claim by scriptures to be a factual, historical event. And it says here very clearly that he is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So here the fact is Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first one, the first fruits in this particular passage. Now in Leviticus, if you'll note the outline that's on your bulletin there, in Leviticus we're reminded of the importance of gathering the first fruits. And of course, the first fruits were in honor of glorifying and worshiping the Lord. You would bring your first fruits from the harvest in. And the idea is it's the first of many. In other words, the the treasure that you got from your field, you would bring those first fruits and they were the first and the best of your crop. And then there would be many others that would follow that you could enjoy. And so when Paul uses this term, first fruits, we're reminded that he's saying Jesus was just the first one of many who would be raised from the dead. And then he describes the contrast between death and life. 
He begins with Adam. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In other words, he's reminding us all that if we are human beings, we descend from Adam, the first person. And because of Adam and his sin in the garden, eating of the forbidden fruit, coming with the wages of sin, which is death, by him came death. And we're confronted with death. In Adam, then, as we say in our catechism, descending from him, uh, from him by ordinary generation, that is, all those who are biologically human beings, in him all die. This is a fact. We preach it, we teach it from the scriptures. Here in this place, in 1 Corinthians, as well as in Genesis 3, and all the pages in between, in Romans as well, we see that the wages of sin is death. So in Adam, all die. But the good news is this. This is why churches exist. This is why we have Christianity. This is why Paul can preach the gospel, which is good news. In Christ, there is a resurrection from the dead. By a man, Jesus Christ, the word become flesh, dwelt among us, walking amongst the people of the earth, by his holy life and by his perfect sinless nature, dying an atoning death on the cross, God raised him from the dead. By a man came the resurrection of the dead, and in him, it says, all will be made alive. That's a reminder. It's not so much that all of us will have the fullness of the wonder of the life in heaven, but only those who are in Christ. You see, the facts of this passage are this. Death will come to every person until Jesus comes back. And because of that, we all need the same thing, life in Jesus Christ by faith and repentance. I got to thinking about the Corinthian church and how it was a great, wonderful body that God was building for himself to glorify him in worship and in gifts. And yet this complex engine, so to speak, was close to being shut down due to problems. You know, today, if you have a computer or an electronic device, there are times it doesn't work. Isn't that true? Sometimes we get frustrated. Sometimes you even want to throw it across the room. Or perhaps you wonder if there is someone in the house who can knows how to operate this complex machine. What do you do? What are the most important things you can do when your computer, your electronic device, tablet, cell phone, whatever it is, what do you do when it stops working? Well, the first thing you do are the basics. You try to turn it off and on. You try to see if it will reboot. You try to see if the password is right. You try to see maybe if the Wi-Fi is working correctly. You try to look at all the basics. Perhaps the battery is low. Perhaps those basic things are what is the problem. Well, Paul here in this complex church with all of its problems goes back to the basics of life and death, the resurrection and Jesus Christ. Without those basics, 
and without correct teaching on the truth and historical fact of the resurrection, the church shall fall. And as we understand that, he reminds us of the timeline in which the resurrection takes place. In case you had any doubt about the resurrection, Paul says there is a resurrection. It is true. This is the whole reason why we have the church. Now let's look at the resurrection and how it operates in time. First of all, he says in verse 23, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. In other words, the first one to be resurrected in the church age is Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there were a few who were resurrected earlier, some by Jesus himself and his ministry, some in the Old Testament by the ministry of the prophets. We think of men like Lazarus, uh, just a few. And yet, here we're understanding that these men and women would still die. But Jesus was resurrected to everlasting life. He is the first, the first fruits of many. Then it says the next order or the next grouping, it says here, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. In other words, the next group of resurrection are those who belong to him. In 1 Thessalonians, when it describes this in chapter 4, it says that when he comes back, both the dead who are in Christ as well as the living will go to be with Christ and the dead. Uh, intent here is that they would be with him forever it's at his coming when in other words jesus right now is ascended is seated at the right hand of god the father almighty according to the end of luke and the beginning of acts and as we see those things there is a time when he has been prophesied just like he went up he will come back we call that in technical terms the parousia the coming of jesus and when he comes All those who belong to him will be resurrected. What a wonderful time that will be. That is our hope. And then it says, will come the end. Resurrection of Christ, the first fruits, the resurrection of those who belong to him, and then the end. And he just gives a description of what the end looks like. Now, of course, this is not an exhaustive list of all the things that will happen He does not necessarily include the judgment which is so prominent in the teachings of Jesus and Paul and other places. But here he reminds us of these things that happen in the end. First of all, Jesus must reign. He reigns even now through the church, through his body of believers. He must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. Isn't this a joy? This is the hope that we have. Every enemy of Jesus will be defeated. And in case you wonder who those enemies are, these aren't just kings or rulers who would oppose him. These aren't just atheists or people outside the church who oppose him. These are not just those false believers within the church who seek to destroy the church from within. It also includes all the spiritual powers at war against God and against Christ And it says here in verse 26, it includes the enemy called death. The last enemy destroyed is death. Do you realize how wonderful that is? This week in our family, we experienced some friends who experienced death. We understood about a week ago that some good friends of ours, there was a couple that was involved in a car accident. 
They were going down the road. They stopped because a boat had had a kayak fall out of it, and they came to a stop, put their blinkers on, but a car behind them did not see or stop, and at 55 miles an hour ran into their car. Because of the circumstances of the injuries, one man was killed, someone close in the family, a father, a grandfather. Lo and behold, yesterday, this same family, one of the daughters who is close to my family, a good friend of my wife and all of us, she called us on the phone yesterday, and she said, or it was this afternoon, I think, rather, she said that her good friend who had come up to stay with her boys, the grandchildren of the father of the man who had died, she had stayed with the boys, and her husband did not go to church that day. They did a wellness check on him. He was a younger man, and they found him dead in his home. The family confronted with two deaths in a very short period of time of people close to them. And they're reeling. Death is not easy. It is the harshest reality that we face, that death will come on every single person, either suddenly, like in a car accident, or in circumstances we are not even aware of, or perhaps over time because of the ravages of disease or aging. And yet, this death that is an enemy of all, even Christ, Rather than there being no resurrection, as some in the Corinthian church was teaching, thinking that resurrection would go out of vogue and would no longer be taught in the church scene, instead of that, there will come a time when instead death will be defeated and there will be no death no more. At that time, Christ, it says, will deliver the kingdom to the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, every power, even death itself, according to Revelation 20, to be thrown into the lake of fire. What a wonder that death will be destroyed. And then verse 28, it says this, when all things are subjected to Christ, then he himself will subject himself to the Father. This is not that he would be declared as inferior to the Father, but that he would show the completeness of, of his task before the Father. You see, the Father from before all time had ordained that Jesus would accomplish this victory on the cross, this victory over death, this victory over all his enemies. And when all of that is completed, Jesus will basically come to the Father and say, here it is. It is complete and done. Not just my atoning death on the cross, which was finished and described as finished by Jesus. But now, everything has been accomplished. This is the hope that we have. And yet, Paul comes back to this fact. There are people in the church that are denying the resurrection. Verse 29 Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? There's a series of questions that are here that Paul is asking of what would it look like if we were to truly deny the resurrection? Now, some commentators, in fact, most of them are puzzled by these expressions. What does it mean that they were baptized on behalf of the dead? Does this mean that they had some kind of practice where people would die and then people would be baptized in the names of those who died and so forth. 
And yet, historically, we can find no evidence in the first century that any kind of this practice took place. I don't know if I'm correct. I'm not smarter than all the other theologians, but I take it this way. If we deny that there is a resurrection and we baptize people in the name of Jesus Christ, we're baptizing them in the name of a dead person. What would we do if all of our sacraments... All of our theology, everything we do in the church, is based on someone who has not been raised, but is dead. What would be the purpose of that? What would we do in our lives? In essence, he's saying here, it's completely ridiculous to go through the trappings of religion and theology in the church if the dead are not raised. You see, the resurrection is so crucial that even those events that we have, baptisms, the Lord's Supper, even the things that we do during the week that we say we're doing for the sake of Christ and the kingdom, they're meaningless. There's really no reason for us to do anything for the Lord if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. Paul says this about himself. He says, why are we in danger every hour I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Paul is putting himself in mortal danger daily. On the one hand, this is a spiritual danger. He is dying to himself every day so that every hour and minute he can be proclaiming Christ to the people. This was his calling as an apostle. He's poured himself out for the sake of the gospel And this is the believer. He's willing to count the cost to follow Christ. He's willing to give up things for the sake of Christ. Give up his riches. Give up his time. Give up his relationships for the sake of Christ. And he says, why would I do this if the resurrection wasn't true? And that's true. Why? Why would we spend our life proclaiming Christ if he was still dead? Paul even puts it on the line when he talks about a particular incident. He says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? In other words, he's reminding them of the terrible circumstances in which a riot broke out in Ephesus, and they had to warn him not to intervene and to defend himself or defend the honor of Christians because it was dangerous that he could be torn apart, and he escaped. Acts 19 is the account, 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 2 Timothy 4, 17, all seeming to refer to this particular event, escaping from the mouth of the lion, whether it's a literal thing or whether it's figurative. He says, humanly speaking, according to the ESV translation, he says, why would I risk my life? Why would I fight beasts if people were not raised from the dead? He says, after all, what would life look like? If the resurrection was not true, here's what it would be. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Why would we not be hedonists? That's what they are. Those that just have pleasure for themselves. How can we go out in the world and counter the arguments of those that say, our life is just all about pleasure. All we need to do is enjoy ourselves. 
whether eating or drinking or enjoying recreational drugs or promiscuous activity, whatever it is, why don't we just go out and enjoy ourselves because after all, after this life, we're dead and it doesn't matter anymore. And Paul says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, because there is a resurrection, because there's more than just this life, You see, if we don't place our hope on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no reason for hope. And so here's the advice that he gives. Here's the application, so to speak. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. He's really addressing those in the church who are denying the resurrection. The word here uh, for Company is the word for conversation or interaction with, the things that you talk about amongst one another. And he's particularly addressing those who would deny the resurrection. And he says, if you here are sticking with those who would deny this basic historical truth of the gospel, you will have your own life compromised. Your ethos or your morals will decline. In other words, he's saying that one of the reasons why they're putting up with immorality in their church is this. They're denying that Jesus was raised from the dead. And this has caused them to live in such a way as if there is no eternal life. And so they're being led astray. So he says this, wake up from your drunken stupor. He's not saying this to the guys at the bar down the street. He's not saying this uh, to the folks that are in the ranks of the young people going after their wild oats. He's saying this to the church. He's saying, wake up from your drunken stupor. In other words, sober up. He will also say in another place, don't get drunk with wine, but be intoxicated in essence by the Holy Spirit. Sober up and do what? Stop sinning. Stop sinning by denying the resurrection. Stop sinning by doing things and living a life as if there is no hope and a life eternal. You see, this is what we do, isn't it? If we don't think that there's another life, if we don't think that there is anything beyond the here and now, we think we can do whatever we want. And when he says, sober up and stop sinning, he's saying, reflect on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and understand that there's much more to eternal life than the present. And therefore, live your lives worthy of your calling in Christ. Then finally, he says this, for some have no knowledge of God. The word is ignorance. They're agnostics. And he says, I say this to your shame. You see, he's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have said, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he was raised from the dead. I believe he has saved me from my sins. I believe that I am a sinner in need of repentance. And when I repent and come to Christ for forgiveness because of his atoning death on the cross, he has saved me from my sins. He has forgiven me and I will walk with him and honor him by the power of the Holy Spirit within me. And some of them have said... In all of this, they didn't believe it in their hearts. They were ignorant of God. Here a couple weeks ago, we watched a video, and 
our church history Sunday school class in which Dr. Godfrey made a statement about the 20, 20th century in America. He said the 20th century will be known as the time when the American church gave up the Sabbath. I believe that. I think that's true. The 19th century in America was a time when the mainline church gave up on the authority of the Bible by allowing liberal theologians to teach the church that it wasn't important that there was really a resurrection or a virgin birth or a Bible that is literally true. They even denied the supernatural God of the Bible. What will the 21st century in America look like when church historians look back in times to come unless Jesus does not tarry longer if they look back on the 21st century and they wonder what the church in America looked like what would it be known as? Would it be known as a church because they were denying the resurrection and the power of God continued down the path of destruction and by and large looked at the idea of being those who only worried about their present life or will we look back and see God miraculously working so that the 21st century in America can be known as the resurrection of the doctrine of the resurrection. The resurrection life of the church. There will always be a remnant. There will always be those who proclaim Christ resurrected. But here is the difference between the world and the church. The Bible is true. Jesus died on the cross for his people, and Jesus was raised from the dead. And he has given life to his people, not just life that is abundantly now, but will be forevermore. Does that reflect the way you live your life, or are you caught up in the questions of eat and drink and tomorrow we die, of wondering why we do what we do or wondering why we put ourselves in danger or sacrifice anything. You see, this is the heart of things. Is your life lived as if the resurrection is true? Ponder that as you go home tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Paul, putting everything on the line. Lord, our lives must be about you. You are the first fruits raised from the dead. You will in the end defeat death forever. Lord, this is our hope. We long for the day of the resurrection when you shall return. We long for the day when death and all your enemies shall be defeated. But until that time, Father, protect us, keep us, shepherd us, that we might live our lives with the understanding that this doctrine is true. We thank you that death is defeated in Christ, in whose name we pray.